Welcome to LilyPod episode 49, Money and Mindset with Karen Nelson. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another episode of LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed toward mid-singles and later married couples. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Hi, this is Jeff and Kathy Teichert with Love in Later Years, also known as Lily. And welcome to Lily Pod or Lily Tube if you're watching on our YouTube channel. And today we have a special guest with us, Karen Nelson, who is a divorce confidence expert helping moms move past the betrayal from their ex and become a more confident woman able to create a life even better than when she was married. Karen went through her own divorce five years ago after a 20-year marriage, only to find herself lost and confused about who she was and what she was capable of handling. After going through her own healing process, she knew that other women needed help and guidance creating self-love and confidence after divorce. Karen became a certified life coach in 2019 and has been helping divorced moms since to create a life even better than when they were married. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for having me. I am so excited to be here. That makes me sound so awesome. Like I'm just going to help all the divorced women and they're just going to have these amazing lives. And I think it's totally possible actually for us to be able to do that. So I am really excited to be here to talk to you guys today. Yeah. And I know when we were talking initially that you said you believe that everyone should have a life coach, like every single person on the planet. I do believe that 100%. And here's why, because every single one of us is a human and every single one of us has a human brain. And it literally does not matter how hard we work to believe in ourselves and to create a better life. We will always have that critical voice in the back of our head telling us that we're not good enough. We can't do it. And we can evolve to become better or different, but we're still going to, because we're human, never reach that perfect you know, potential that we're all striving toward, but we will never get there in this human form. And I think life coaching is the next best thing. We have somebody who can see what's happening in our brain and kind of point it out for us and then help us decide, do I want to keep thinking this way? Or is there a better, different way that can get me the results that I want in my life, you know, and guide us in that way? And even coaches need coaches because our brains like to lie to us, just like your brains, (laughs) all of your listeners' brains like to do. And we can't see everything that our brain is, you know, throwing in front of us. We think that our brain is telling us the truth when half the time it's not. And we need people to point that out to us as well. So I just think everybody needs a life coach. (laughs) Well, we agree with you because we're life coaches too. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) And we have life coach. So yeah, and it's really helpful uh, tools, really super helpful. Yes, I agree. Karen, I wanted to ask you, um, we were going to begin by asking you about how you work with women. And I think we said Mm -hmm. in the introduction that you work primarily with women. But you and I had an interesting off mic discussion 
before this started about how men sometimes suffer from the same issues that women do, even though um, you know they may have a, their career in a better place, not always, but in many cases they do, but still suffer from the same feeling of devastation and I've lost everything and my life is over and you know, so I think a lot of what you're going to talk about today, even though we'll talk about it in terms of women, probably applies to men too. Do you have thoughts on that? Yeah, I think because of that whole reason that we do have human brains, of course, their men are going to struggle. It may not show up in the same way or because of the same circumstances, but men struggle with their confidence exactly the same way as women do. Um, obviously when it comes to divorce, and we talked about this before women, especially in the LDS culture and the LDS society are raised oftentimes to think my job as a woman, as I get older is to get married and be the mom and show up for my family in that way. And one way I do that is I put everyone before me. And I put their needs and their wants and their desires before my own. And that often will lead to a lack of knowing yourself and a lack of having a relationship with yourself and not, you know, feeling confident in being able to make decisions and showing up in that way. And on the opposite spectrum, we have men who are raised to, you have to provide for your family. And if you don't have a good job and if you can't make the money, you are looked at as a failure. And when you go through something as hard and as devastating as a divorce can be, whether you're a woman or a man, those feelings of like self-criticism of I'm not good enough, I didn't show up good enough, I didn't do it right, will show up for the men or the women, depending on you know where you're coming from and the society you've been raised in. And it's something that we all need to work on. Yeah, very good. I actually am very impressed with all men and women who are willing to be self-aware and show up and do this work. I agree. I think it's just so necessary. And I, I think if you are willing to put yourself in that place where like, maybe I, there is work that I need to do, or it's possible that I can get to a different place. Like when you can allow yourself, give yourself permission to be open to that possibility I just think that your life and the experience that you create in your life is endless. Like it can truly show up in any way that you want. Mm -hmm. And I find it to be pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And, and to experience. Yeah, well. absolutely. I, mean, I was one of those men, you know, who I experienced a lot of financial setbacks, partly leading up to my divorce and partly as a result of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I definitely felt those feelings that you're talking about of failure of, you know, I haven't shown up well enough. Maybe I didn't work hard enough. Maybe I didn't yeah. try hard enough. And I think in our Latter-day Saint culture, oftentimes we tell, we tell men, hey, look, if there's a problem in your marriage, don't question who's at fault. It's your fault, you know? And uh, oh, that's interesting because as a woman... I feel like we often, when we're going through tough times and divorce is obviously a very difficult time for so many of us, but um, it's the same thing for women. Like we are looking for 
somewhere to lay the blame. And because we put ourselves in that, like, I'm going to take care of everyone, we will lay the blame on ourselves. So that's fascinating to me that from a man's point of view, you are feeling and taking the blame for yourself and the women are feeling and taking the blame for ourselves as well, which to me opens up this whole thing of like, if we can try and put ourselves in someone else's shoes and what they might be thinking and going through, we can start to feel compassion for them. And that will just open yourself up to creating a completely different divorce situation. You know, when you can go ahead, I was just, go ahead. Well, no, no, I, I, I like what you're saying. And I think it's especially poignant in our Latter-day Saint subculture because we have this emphasis on becoming good moral people who are responsible and, you know, self-sufficient and so on, which mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not against any of that, but, but yeah. one of the things that we get as blowback from that, I think, is this feeling of, well, if an eternal family or, you know, an intact family is the ideal, what about me? You know, if I, if I've been divorced somewhere, somehow I slipped up or somebody slipped up. And so life did me wrong. Right. Yeah. And even on dates, people will talk about, oh, I assure you, I was a good spouse. My spouse is the one who caused all this devastation and heartbreak. Oh yeah, I get what you mean because my spouse was a dirtbag too, you know, and it's yes. back and forth um, on a lot of self-justification. And I've come to believe that blame is not a particularly useful tool. It makes Agreed. us feel better for a little while, but it's a hollow victory. So if, yeah. if you want to talk about blame a little bit, I would welcome that. Yeah. Well, I think blame is an interesting thing because, and I learned this from actually my coach who teaches this whole idea of like the, this blame shame cycle. And I agree with you. It is not helpful in any way. And basically it's this whole idea of like, um, something went wrong. It's their fault. Mm. They, they did all the things they showed up wrong. They did it wrong. I can't believe they did that, you know, but that doesn't necessarily feel good. Like you said, it feels good for a moment, but then we kind of get this little, you know, voice in our head saying, questioning but did they do everything wrong was it all their fault maybe it was my fault and then we we start to feel shame like maybe I I actually did show up wrong maybe I didn't try hard enough maybe I'm not good enough but that also feels terrible right when we're shaming ourselves and telling ourselves that there's something wrong with us and so it goes back into the cycle of like nope it was definitely them it was definitely their fault And it's this cycle that you just can't seem to get out of because you're blaming them, but that feels bad. So you're putting it on yourself and you're shaming yourself, but that feels terrible. And you kind of don't even know how to move forward from that. And I think as as a coach, what I would focus on with my clients is like, let's take it back to what we can control. We know we can't control Mm -hmm. what the other person did or does or the way they're showing up in their life but we can control how we want to think about it, which is where we create all of our freedom and how that makes us feel. And once we've taken care of those two things, we're going to show up completely different in our life. Mm-hmm. That sounds like the serenity prayer and that we just did a podcast on that, you know, Oh, nice. Me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, 
the courage yes. to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yes. So. And sometimes arriving at that wisdom can involve a little bit of pain because we're yeah, giving up in our mind something that we had maybe hoped for. You know, mm-hmm. I want, I've heard many women say, I want a husband that's more emotionally expressive, but that's not what I got. And I can't yeah. really change it. And giving up on changing it involves a certain amount of painful processing to say, all right, I could leave this relationship, but he shows me he loves me in a lot of other ways. And so do I want to make that be enough or do I want to move on? And, you know, it's always a a decision, but it can be a painful one. It for sure can be painful, but I also think that oftentimes the way to release that pain, and I say release just because I think sometimes for me thinking about it in a different way will bring a lot of peace to the situation and oh, for sure yeah and i think just allowing the person to be who they are or accepting kind of how your life is right now that to me brings more peace than like that whole wishing that they were different wishing i had chose different because that is more of like let me look at my past and the choices that I made. And I really wish that I could go back and change them. Or I really wish that they had been different and I had known it at the time, but we can't really change, you know, anything that happens in the past. And like we were saying before, we can, we do have the power to accept what's right in front of us right now. And like you're saying, you can make the decision. Obviously that's where all of our power lies is in our decisions, right? Of, am I willing to accept this is who they are and can we move forward from here? Or am I willing to accept this is where we are and now do I wanna move you know, on from this relationship or whatever the decision ends up being? So it's my understanding that what you're saying is yes, maybe it might be painful for a moment, but it moves you into a place of truth where you can make yes. better decisions. Yes, 100%. I think that's part of the problem that we find just as humans is when we try and pretend that our life should be a different way, or we get to that place of wishing or hoping that it was. And instead of like actually just being honest with ourselves, like you said, and really showing up in that truth and that authenticity of what our life is, that's where we find the peace of like, okay, this is what I've got. Now, where do I want to go from? Well, we also receive serenity by giving up on the the effort to change things we can't change because there is not a a useful effort. No. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Karen, I, I would like to ask you, I assume, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't assume that there is something in your own background that led you to want to work with women who particularly divorced women is there something in your own experience that kind of puts that in the center of your heart? Yeah. So for me personally, when I was married and I didn't realize this while I was married, it's something that's kind of come to the forefront of my own um, evolution in the past few years, but I led a very codependent relationship while I was married. And the way I define codependency is like, I am dependent on this other relationship and it really can be anything, but for me, it was with my husband. It could be a, you know, a parent or a child or a friend. For me, it was my husband at the time where I trusted and believed that his opinion was more valid and more 
full of wisdom and truth than mine was. Mm. And so I just often would defer any decisions like, well, what do you think we should do? Because I didn't trust that like I was smart enough or good enough to choose the right one. I always felt like if I made the decision, it was going to be the wrong one. So I just ended up deferring and I got in this habit of like, well, what would he say? What would he think? What would he want? Let's do that because he knows better. He knows more. And then that just led to me needing him to validate me in every other area of my life, like needing him to tell me that I looked pretty. And if he didn't, I didn't think that I was pretty or tell me that I was successful or I could do this thing. And if he didn't, then I wasn't like, I couldn't see myself in that way. And so when I got out of my relationship, I was very incapacitated. I didn't know how to make decisions. I would just spin and like, I don't know. What if I make the wrong decision? I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can be a, you know, a single woman. I don't know if I can make the money that I need to make to be able to support my kids now. You know, we're now, I'm a now a one paycheck household and how do I make that happen? And I just didn't know how to like validate myself. I didn't know how to love myself. I had no idea how to be confident and it took a lot of healing. It took me finding my own coach, my own mentor who taught me the tools to be able to feel confident in making decisions and who laid a foundation of like my opinions and my thoughts are just as valid as anyone else in this world. Not necessarily just my exes, but like literally every other person. I have thoughts and I have opinions and those hold validity just as yours do, just as the person who's listening to this, just as all of us do. But it took time and effort and I had to be willing to give myself permission to make those changes mm. and continue to make those changes. It's not something that I did once with my coach. And then I was like, I'm all done. I've done it. I've gone to the <laughs> confidence gym. I've made it. <laughs> it's like something that I still practice on a day-to-day -day basis. It's something that I work with my clients on a day-to-day -day basis. And I teach them the tools that they need to be able to create that confidence as well and to overcome their own codependent relationships if they what have an, that in their life. What an amazing transformation you just described that I think a lot of women will relate to. I know I do because I used to care what people thought and need that validation from external yes. sources and it's not a good place to be. It's and, not. And also deferring uh, to a spouse or to someone else for our worth and also for decisions it isn't empowering. I think it can sometimes give, give us um, a reason to be upset with them when it doesn't work out and we don't have to blame ourselves or yes. have to take any responsibility. We actually had a discussion on this recently in our group where several of them were recognizing when either they or a partner of theirs were trying to get them to make decisions for them. And they're like, I'm not doing that. Like I'm not and, and, and them yes. choosing not to and, and empower them to make their own choices and also prevented them from getting in unnecessary fights with their partners over, well, you made this decision, so this is on you, you know, like that they avoided all that by letting them make their choices and letting themselves make their choices. Yes. And I think it goes back to that whole idea of not showing up as your authentic self. It's kind of, we put ourselves in this people, people pleasing position of like, I'm going to manipulate you in a way I say manipulate because you're not showing up as who you really would be. Would I make this choice if I, I thought they were going to get mad at me? No, because I don't want them to be mad at me or I don't want them to think that I made the wrong choice. And so I'm going to 
please them in a way that I think they want me to show up as, but it's not who you really are. And so you're not being truthful or authentic with who you are and you're not showing up authentically in the relationship. It's kind of like putting this barrier in between the two of you because they don't know who you actually are on the inside because you're not telling them, you're not allowing themselves them to see who you really are you're and not how fully you would actually showing show up, up in your life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Let me ask a follow-up to that because this is fascinating information and I, I appreciate you sharing it. But when you were in this codependent relationship, as you describe it with your former husband, um, and you were deferring to him on all the decisions, mm -hmm. at least the major ones, um, did you ever find yourself deferring to him on a decision and then resenting the one he made? Yeah, of course. I think for sure we all do that when we put ourselves in that position of like, I'm not going to choose, like you were just saying, Kathy, I'm not going to choose because I don't want to choose the wrong thing. And, and then I don't want them to be mad at me if I did choose. But then we didn't, we, like I said, we wouldn't necessarily choose the thing that they're choosing because we maybe don't agree with it, or we just don't think that's where the direction we should be going or whatever the reason or it is. it doesn't work out post hoc. Yes. And so of course, then we will like feel this resentment of like, well, they, they just didn't choose right. Or I can't believe that they didn't let me voice my opinion when really in reality, we were the ones who weren't willing to speak up, to make a choice, to make our opinions known or heard. It actually makes it so that you can be upset either way. Like it's very mm -hmm. manipulative in a, in a way. Yeah. And I don't know that people do it on purpose. No, but it's not. just, but yeah. it could be a pattern that, you know, yep. it's good to recognize and, and get out of if you're in it. Yeah. And I think that's the cool thing about our brains is we have these habitual patterns that we show up that show up in our lives and our brain is like, oh, we've done that before. It's easy to go back to that again and again and again. And sometimes we just think this is how my life is. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to show up. But our brains are amazing and we truly can choose a different way of thinking, a different way of acting. We just have to create a different habit of doing it. But we yeah. don't know until we're aware of it and we may not even be aware of it at the time. Like I said, when I was in my marriage, I wasn't aware that I was showing up in that way. Yeah. I mean, it, it, sometimes it's just patterns left over from childhood or whatever. Yeah, totally. Um, I, was I was going to say, and, and I'd, I'd love to hear your reaction to this, the, the codependence paradigm um, for a relationship that, that you kind of described in your own experience. I mean, I don't want to overgeneralize it, but it almost feels like for many in our culture, there may be a sense in which a, a girl grows up thinking my role as an adult is going to be, I will be the oldest child. I will be the one that takes care of the, those under me that, you know, does a big part of the work around the house. But the big decisions about <clears throat> money, career, you know, the, the things that are going to make sure we can stay in our house and all those kinds of things. I, right. I'd rather leave those to my husband. And I mean, I don't think they, that anyone really logically, maybe somebody, but very few people really think through in their head, I want to grow up to be the oldest child. But <laughs> the way they might describe what they want in life essentially would fit that paradigm that I want to I want to take care of things, but I want my husband to make sure everything works out. You yeah. Know? 
Yeah, and that's an interesting way of looking at it. And we talked about this a little <clears throat> bit before when we were talking about um, my degree and why I chose that degree. And yeah. really, my answer was because my whole like idea of how my marriage was going to be was my husband was going to be the breadwinner and make all the money. And I was going to be the mom who stayed home at home with the kids. So I got a degree in history for no reason other than I liked history, not because I was going to plan on using it later on in my life, not because I was going to continue on with a, you know, a law degree or a, becoming a teacher or whatever. It was just because I thought it was cool and I wanted to learn more about it. I had no plans in my life of like, I'm going to be a career woman. I'm going to be a life coach and coach women on how to make their lives better. Like that was nowhere on my trajectory. And so you're, like you said, I didn't have this like idea consciously in my head of like, yeah, I'm going to take care of my family and my husband's going to be in charge of all of the major decisions and we'll just defer to him. It just, that's kind of what I thought needed to happen. That's kind of how I thought my life was going to go. I did the same thing with my degree, which was in family science. Cause I, I actually lacked the confidence to become a mother and I wanted to like gain that confidence somehow through mm. education. Interesting. <laughs> I think life did that more for me than education, but it's interesting. Cause I, I never planned to do much with it. And mm -hmm. I didn't for a long time because instead I went to teacher training for violin. Cause I, I I'm a violinist and it made sense for me to, to do that. And, uh, I, I do enjoy that, but yeah. now that we are doing life coaching and writing and, um, our family science degrees are actually coming in really handy. Jeff actually, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> that just showed up perfectly in your lives, right? It just <laughs> happened to be the perfect thing to help, you know, um, accentuate what you're doing now, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's great also the way you're talking about this because I don't hear a lot of blame in your voice uh, for your former husband. It's more like, this is how I showed up. Yeah. This is, and I didn't want, I don't want to show up that way. I don't want to be that kind of wife or that kind of person or that kind of girlfriend or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not looking at it like, well, he made me do it. You know, he. Yeah. He, no. No. He took away I my power. Exactly. It, it was for sure my choice. And I see that 100%. And I feel like not that I am a type of a person who really struggles with the blame or the shame. Obviously I have moments of that in my life, but mm. even when we were going through the divorce, I had an idea in my head of what I wanted our divorce to look like. And I said this to him, I said, I don't want our divorce to be like every other person's divorce. I don't want us to hate each other. I don't want us to use our kids and pit them against each other. I don't want us to not have a relationship where we can't talk, where we can't get along, where we can't spend birthdays and holidays if we choose together. I want our divorce to be different. And he was on board with that, thankfully. Like, I think that that's still a possibility. Even if your ex isn't on board, you can still show up how you want to as a person. But he thankfully was on board and we have created a really amazing co-parenting relationship. And I hear all the time from family, from neighbors, from people who understand our relationship, like you guys have created this amazing divorce and it's so good for your kids. And not to say it hasn't been a struggle for our kids. Of course it has. Like they are struggling in ways that I can never know because my parents aren't divorced and I've never had as a child had to go through that. But I think we 
are striving continually to create an experience for them that creates an environment where it's easier for them to be happy and to have a relationship with each of us ongoing that is strong and positive rather than feeling like this is the worst and my parents are the worst and I hate this situation. So we have worked really hard to create that relationship of like, this is how we want our divorce to go. We're going to go in that direction. That's wonderful. Love that. So I would love to dive into your money mindset coaching. If yes, you don't mind do uh, j- jumping into that, because we were thinking with the, the new year approaching, um, you know, where people may set budgets or goals for their financial well-being, um, that this would be a good time to talk about that. Yes, absolutely. So when it comes to money mindset, first of all, money mindset is one of my favorite things ever. It is. It was one of the things that I first worked on when I got divorced because I recognized that I had a terrible relationship with money. And yes, some of your listeners might be going, what is she talking about? We have a relationship with money. You have a relationship with money, whether or not you recognize it. You have a relationship with money the exact same way that you have a relationship with your partner or your children or your neighbor. Like it is a real thing and you just might not know it. I think even if you choose to not have a relationship with money, that's the relationship you have. That's the relationship and it will show up in your life. Like I believe this about everything in our lives, how we think about something shows up in our actions and like the experience that we create in our life. And so there is a real correlation between how you are thinking about money and what that's creating in your life when it comes to money and, and how you can change that. So like, if you have a relationship with money that is loving, that is strong, that is open and abundant, or you have a relationship that is like full of animosity. Like I have many people I know in my life who are like, I hate money. Money is the worst. They hate it and they feel scarce and they feel lack. Those are going to be showing up in your life in that way. It is going to show up in whether or not you have the capacity to create and have more or whether or not you kind of stay stuck in where you're at in that situation. Because hating it would indicate you don't want it. Right. But But then you hear them saying, I just wish I had more money. I wish I could pay my bills at the end of the month, but I just hate money so bad. I hate when I have to pay this bill or I hate when this surprise thing happens. And, you know, my kids say, I, I need to pay this for school. I just, it makes me so mad. And yet they wish they had more. And so it's like these two incongruent thoughts and you're actually like subconsciously blocking yourself from being able to get out of the struggle, get out of the lack that you feel in your life, get out of the debt or whatever it is that you want to create differently in your life. You're actually like holding yourself back from being able to create that because of how you're thinking about money. So married or single, we, we all have a relationship with money. Um, and I'm wondering if you've seen with your work with single women, what you think the biggest challenges they have with regards to money mindset, like if it's different than maybe their married counterparts or even than men. Well, I just think the biggest there's, I think there's two points that we can kind of focus on when it comes to women and single women, especially if after they've gone through divorce and Jeff, you pipe in if you want for, you know, coming from the men's point of view, 
But like for women, I think the number one thing is they don't recognize that they have a relationship with money. And probably like we've been talking this whole conversation of like, my husband's going to be in charge of the money and I'm just going to stay at home and be with the kids or have a part-time job maybe, but he'll make the decisions. And then we get into this situation where we're like, now you're in charge. Now you get to make the decisions. Now you get to be the person who pays the bills and looks at the bank account and maybe has to go out of the home and have a job when you never had to do that before, or, you know, make all these changes but you have these terrible thoughts about money or that like, I can't make ends meet or my husband never, my ex-husband never pays me on time with the alimony and the child support. And so how am I supposed to pay my bills? Like all of this complaining and this worrying is showing up because you don't recognize that there, there is a relationship with money. And so all you're doing is like layering scarcity upon scarcity upon scarcity. When, if we just like slow everything down and really take a look at that underlying relationship. This is what I'm thinking about money. This is what I was raised to think about money. Now are these um, thoughts leading to good actions and choices in my life? Or are they leading to actions and choices that are keeping me in my same position? And is there something else that I could think instead that will help me act in a different way and show up in a different way? So I think it goes back to what you were saying overall about giving your power away and, and showing up in a a former marriage where you didn't take on the responsibility of money. And so then your relationship with money is take care of me. And if you're not taking care of me, then I'm scared. Yes. And, And that shows up, like I said, in all of your actions, Like we often don't recognize that it truly is our thoughts that create how we feel and those feelings drive our actions. And so if you're feeling like money needs to take care of you or money is, you know, the thing to have animosity toward, you're going to hide from it. You're going to fear it. You are going to not look at your bank account. You're going to hate the debt that you have. You're going to not look for solutions to be able to create a program to get out of debt. You're not going to talk to the creditors. You're going to hide from the creditors when they're calling you, if that's your situation. Like we all have different money situations, but like we don't problem solve when we're in this headspace of like, I need this to take care of me. Why is it not showing up for me? Why am I always behind kind of a thing? I I know Karen, for, from my experience, some of this mixture of anxiety and shame was so intense that when I was really in a hole financially and, and in a hard place in my career and everything, I could hardly open my mail. And sometimes it took me mm-hmm. time because not only was there anxiety about, okay, I'm getting all these bills coming in that I can't possibly mm-hmm. pay right now, but also think, you know, I, I'm a failure because of that. Yeah. And I think that that gets in a lot of people's way. One other thing I want to ask you about, because I think this is a complicated issue in, in our, particularly in a very religious culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you have those scriptures that say you cannot serve God and mammon. And you have those scriptures that say uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And, you know, I, I think many I don't believe necessarily that that's putting ideas into our heads 
that cause us to hate money. I, I think that sometimes that's the tool we reach for when it's kind of like if you're a little kid and your parents never celebrate your birthday and you have people at your school that all come to school after their birthday. Oh, guess what I got for my birthday? You know, and they there's a party and a cake and all that. And for whatever reason, my parents don't celebrate birthdays and I don't get to have that. I will decide, and this is sort of psychologically, birthdays don't really matter that much. They're not very important. In fact, maybe they're even evil because I have to have some way of coping with the fact that I don't get a birthday in my house the way other kids do. Right. So I have to come up with a reason why that doesn't matter. It's unimportant and so on. I think people very often do that with money. Well, money's not really that important. It doesn't affect my worth. Of course, it doesn't affect your worth as an individual, as a child of God, as a human being. Right. But that's not really the point, is it? It makes your life a lot easier. Right. And I, I do agree. Yeah, you can't serve God in money. But that doesn't mean you can't have money. You can use money to serve God, you know. And yeah. it doesn't mean that, that wanting money, if you keep it in perspective, is going to cause you to turn evil and start being mean to people. Yes, 100%. I think what's really important with these stories that we're raised with, with these stories that we tell ourselves about money is separating those things of like, first of all, is this story making me feel the way that I want to feel and live the kind of life that I want to live? Or can I think about it in a different way? And I love this whole idea of like, you can serve more and give more to the world, to the community, to God, to help other people in ways when you have more money, in bigger ways. And I don't want to necessarily say better ways because I don't think that it's necessarily a better moral thing, but like in bigger ways for sure than you can when you don't have money. It just, it does make things easier. Now that is not to say that it makes you happier. Like, I think it's money is like a, we can have money and we can be happy or we can have money and we can be sad. Like it's not now when right. I have money, I'm going to be tool, happy. Like a hammer yes. that you're not necessarily yes. going to, it's not going to change your emotions. Absolutely. Your thoughts about it will change your emotions. And if you go into this relationship with money thinking, I'm going to be a bad person. If I have more, if I make more, I'm going to be, it's going to make me greedy or terrible or mean. And I'll just want to keep making more and become more of like a selfish person. Then of course, you're not going to like create more and use that money for good. But if you can look at it in a different way of like, this money is abundant and I can use this to help my life get better. I can use this to help my family's life get better. I can use this in my community and in my church to create so much good in the world. Like those two thoughts create completely different things. And it really comes down to how do I want to think about this? And what do I want to create in my life? What experience do I want to have in my life? I just and thought of just, a Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say something that I, this is what I do when my clients come to me and they're really struggling with their money thoughts is we take a look at what do you actually think about money? And I ask them like a series of questions so that they have a really good awareness of 
what they're thinking and how that is showing up in their lives. And then you can decide from there, like without awareness, there is no <laughs> change or progression. And so you become aware of what you're thinking. And then from there you decide, is this serving me? Do I want to keep thinking this? And if it's not, what do I want to think instead? Right. Go ahead. And Karen, I mean, there are people who would steal and kill for money. There are people who do. A hundred percent. And hundred percent. I think when we talk about you cannot serve God and money, that's that's kind of what we're talking about. That it's not a matter of money isn't important or it doesn't matter. It's it's mm-hmm. more that um you have your priorities in line. You know, yes, I want money to take care of things and have some of the joy in life that it can provide if I have the right mindset doesn't mean I will literally do anything for it. It doesn't mean Mm -hmm. I have no morals or principles. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same way of the love of money is the root of all evil. Yeah. If you love it and you fornicate with it and you, you know, basically you use it or, or or it becomes the end all be all Mm -hmm. you lose perspective, but I don't think that's the money mindset that you're talking about. You're talking about creating abundance. And, And I know in my own experience, just that, Currently, my financial needs are met pretty well. Uh, I'm not super rich or anything like that, but I don't spend all day thinking about how I'm going to avoid getting the lights turned off in my house. Right. I can right. spend it on higher purposes and, and more important things. And I have much more influence in the world now than I had when I was broke. Yeah. And partly because it gives me the brain space to think about other stuff. Yeah, 100%. That security and that sufficiency feeling will do that for you. And I want to go back to your point that you just made about like the money is evil. And it if, you, if you're, you know, living your life from that headspace, what that creates in your life and how you show up will be, you know, not necessarily a way that is going to serve you or the rest of the world. And I think when you come from that headspace, it is because you have a scarcity mindset. You are fearful that you're going to lose your money. You are fearful that um, it could be taken away from you at any time. And so you have to get more and more and more. And that is all scarcity is all fear-based. It is all lack-based. And people who think about money in that way as the end-all be-all, I must have more, really are coming from a place of fear of like, I could lose it at any time. And my life will be over if that happens. Whereas if you can switch your mindset to this sufficiency mindset or this abundant mindset of like, there's plenty for me, there's plenty for you, there's plenty for all of us. Like, it's not like there's just a big pile of money. And if I don't get my share, then it's gone. No, like there's a pile of money for me and there's a pile of money for you and you and every other human on this earth. We can just keep and when we can, Yes, that just keeps growing. And if we can think about it in that way, in this like, there's abundance for all of us. There's enough for mm. all of us. Like it just opens, opens our life up. It opens our thoughts up. It opens up all the possibility. And that's scientifically demonstrable too. I mean, the economy grows. Yeah. Consistently yes. all the time. And that's what I was going to say earlier, actually. Uh, it's something that helped shift my mindset a, a bit in is this idea that there's always enough for everyone Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. me earning whatever I earn does not take away from anyone else that I don't need to feel guilty about that or Mm -hmm. that um I don't 
I also don't need to feel that there's a lack out there and who am I to take from that pot? You know, I think knowing that there's plenty for everyone. um, I mean, we really, we create our wealth here Mm -hmm. um, by the choices that we make. And um, with, if everyone has an abundant mindset, we're just prosperous. We just are. Yes. And um, I think that really helped me in a, a global way. And we keep bringing up those scriptures, not because it's necessarily like what we think everyone thinks, but I think sometimes right. subconsciously it might be affecting us if we had a religious upbringing and we heard those things said and we didn't mm-hmm. know how to interpret them in a yes. way that was healthy for us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there and can I think be kind of right. an assumption, boy, I'm broke, but I'm godly. And maybe if I wasn't broke, I wouldn't be godly. Yes. And I don't think people start out thinking that. I think it's, in a way, it's a way of feeling better about not having anything. Yeah. But I, I think it's a dangerous path to go down. Uh, because when you're broke, life isn't, you know, I mean, you can be happy broke. I'm not saying you can't. But life is much harder. Yeah. And I think when we put that mantle on ourselves of like, you know, I'm, I'm fine. It's fine. I might be struggling financially, but at least I'm a good person. Like your morality is dependent on your bank account when it really isn't. I I think that if you have more money and if you create that abundance in your life, it's going to amplify because of who you are as a person. And so if you are a you have a personality where you are kind of a selfish person and you're not super kind to people and you show up in your life in that way, that money is just going to be amplified in that way. It's not going to like make you, oh, now I have money. And so I'm a terrible person. But if you're just a kind person naturally and you want to give and help people, and then you are able to create that abundance, that's just going to be amplified in that way. You're going to create more help, more kindness, more love, through using your money in those ways. Right. And even just in having personal security so that you have brain space to think about. Yeah, absolutely. Other people. Yeah. And and I've got my own needs taken care of as well. Like I don't have to worry about like you were saying my day to day or my light's going to be shut off. Like it takes away that brain space and you can use it on other things in your life. Right. Yeah. Including helping people and whatever. Yeah, of course. You know, I had a why when I was young, cause I've always been a saver and my mm-hmm. why has always been, I want options. Yeah. And I don't know if you talk to women about having a why, but that's always been mine and it's been fairly motivating. And, um, it also helps me when I, I save too much to recognize, okay, I wanted options. And if I leave it all in the <laughs> bank and I don't spend it ever, then I'm not really creating those options. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I love that. I love the whole idea of a why, because we can use that to drive our change. Like if we don't understand why we want something, why it's showing up in our lives, then there's really no reason for any of it. Right. I mean, if somebody wants to have a good relationship with money, let's understand where that's coming from. If it's just because you don't want to have to worry about your bills at the end of the month, well, then let's create like let's really dig into that why and get why don't you want to you know worry about your bills at the end of the month because I want to feel secure because I want to feel safe how can we create that security and that safety now to 
like create the actions that you want to take so that you can feel like you have enough money at the end of the month. So you can have a savings. So you can be paying off your bills and getting out of debt and creating that foundation so that it's kind of like the cycle of like, I know why I'm doing it. I know how I want to think about it. I know how it's going to make me feel. I'm going to take these actions, which is going to solidify how I'm thinking, why I'm doing it, how I'm feeling and creating more actions to drive you forward. Let me ask you, because this is a good segue into another thing I wanted to, to have you comment on. <clears throat> um, I believe that, that um, you're talking about, you know, people having a why, and, and your why is certainly important, but when you're working with single women, let's suppose you've got a brand new person that's pretty mm -hmm. freshly divorced, come to see you. <clears throat> I guess, number one, I want to ask you, what does that look like? I mean, I know it's going to be a little different for each person, but what does that, that the panic, the fear, whatever, the desperation, I don't know, you, I, I want you to describe that for us. What does that look like? And how do you begin to take someone from there to discovering their why and having the confidence to pursue it? So when I have a client first come to me, the very first thing that we talk about in our first session is what do they want out of life? Like, I understand they're coming to me because they're in pain, because they feel betrayed, because they've gone through this really challenging thing in their life, like a divorce, and they feel not good enough and they hate themselves. And maybe they're worried about how their kids are going to, um, turn out and maybe they've ruined their kids' lives and, and maybe they've ruined their life and they just don't see a way forward. And so we have to kind of strip all of that down and figure out what do you want to feel? First of all, how do you want to feel and what do you want your life to look like? And for some people, this is really hard because they've never maybe really thought about that. For women, especially, we don't allow ourselves to go to that place of what are my wants? What are my needs? What are my desires? And can I actually make those things a possibility? And so we just have to talk about it and get them to a, a feeling of I'm safe here. I can allow myself to dream. Who knows if they're going to come true? It might be possible. It might not be possible, but this is kind of what I want my life to look like. And it could be kind of cool if I could get there. And so we, that's where we start. And from there, we take the steps of like, why is this important to you? Why would your life be different if you had these things, if it turned out this way, if you felt this way about yourself, if you loved yourself in a different way, how would everything in your life change if we got you to that place? And then from there, we just start working on building the foundation of like, I'm confident. I can love myself. I can show up for myself. I can validate me. I can make decisions. I truly can create a life that was better and more authentic and more real than when I was married. That's awesome. How do you deal with, and I want to be careful how I ask this, but you know, you've seen the cartoon maybe of the the woman sitting on her bed looking all pouty and she says, I've been dieting all morning. Why haven't I lost any weight yet? <laughs> and um, I've heard Tony Robbins say, you know, that you can, most people grossly overestimate what they can do in one year 
and grossly underestimate what they can do in five. Sure. And Kathy and I used to talk about this in terms of standing over your plants and shaking your fist and telling them to grow faster. Um, so how do you help someone that's wanting to make changes, trust the process and be patient because, you know, they may come in and they're $75,000 in consumer debt and they've got divorced and they don't have a career working for them and they're in a big, big, deep hole. How do you work with someone who wants to make changes, but it's going to be a process and it's going to take some time? Yeah, well, I think the first thing that we have to address when that happens, and I think we all do this, is we want it now. We live in this world mm -hmm. where we want things to happen now, overnight, quickly, and we just have to slow everything down and understand that there's no rush. Like, there really isn't. There's nothing wrong with things taking their time. There's no, like, like we talked about before with the confidence. You're, there's no destination that we need to hit. It's like a lifelong process and having a good relationship with money, having a good relationship with yourself, creating confidence, creating self-love, all of those things are things that we are going to continually be working on. So there's no rush to get into it. Now we might feel an urgency to get out of debt or to find the better job or to go back to school and get all of that done. But if we can just slow everything down, take a breath and understand that like, there is going to be a process and it's, it's not a problem that it's not happening right now, because I think when we're showing up in that urgency, we think something's gone wrong and it's a problem. And so we just have to understand that it, nothing's gone wrong. It's not a problem that we're not there yet. And we can just take our time and work through it as things come. That's, that's great. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's not a magic pill. Coaching is, is yeah. a process, like you said, and it's a lifelong journey of self-discovery and, yes. and introspection and one step at a time making life better for ourselves. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it took me, speaking of what people want to feel, it took me quite a while. Um, and I had therapy and other things too, but it's taken me quite a while to get to a place where I feel good inside most of the time. Yeah. Um, there was a time when I felt icky and awful and dark inside most of the time. And, you know, exactly when that switch was made, it's, that's a more dicey proposition trying to figure <laughs> that out. Because um, there wasn't a point of arrival. Right. Yeah, pinpoint. I was going to say, you probably can't pinpoint it because I think it's more of that evolution of like, it's happening. Things are slowly turning and churning and the more willing we are to do the work continually and to show up for ourselves continually, just the easier it gets. It sounds to me like it's just gotten easier for you to recognize your worth, to recognize that you're amazing and continually tell yourself that rather than going to that old habitual, you know, the thoughts that we all have of like, I'm a terrible person. I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I can't figure it out or whatever our thoughts go to. We all have them. They'll always be there. We just get a little better at listening to the more positive ones more often. Right. The other ones are still there. We just don't have necessarily hear them as often as we become more practiced in this work. Yeah, that's great. You know, when I, when I married Kathy, I was making about half as much money as I do now. Um, and about half as much as I did when I sold my business. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I remember running around like a chicken with my head cut off, you know, going to networking events and all this stuff, trying to build my business. And I, I remember telling Kathy, I'm running a total three ring circus here, but I think in a year or two, we're going to see uh, results. And we did. At the time, I didn't have any evidence of that, except what I believed yes. right up here. Yes. And so, it, but, and, you know, it was work, but in my mind, I was building and creating something that didn't exist yet. And it takes a certain amount of, for lack of a better word, faith yeah. to believe in something that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. And I think that's a daily practice that we don't recognize that we need to work on that. If you want to call it faith or that belief or whatever it is of like, I can create this thing in my life and I don't necessarily have the proof yet that it's working. I'm just going to believe that one day it will happen. And if you can get yourself to that place, it takes intentional thinking. It's like your book, the intentional, what's it called? The intentional relationship or the intentional, intentional courtship. Yeah. courtship. Yeah. It's that whole idea of being intentional about actually thinking about these things on purpose, because if you just let your brain go off on whatever it's going to go off on, you're not going to be thinking, well, it's possible that I could create this. I believe that I can do this. I believe it's going to happen. And I don't necessarily have proof yet, but like you say, it is that faith and you can create that within yourself. You just have to be willing to take the steps to do it. And I think it can be even more powerful if you change the verbiage from it's going, I, I believe it's going to happen to it is happening. Yeah. It's like happening. as a present sure. tense, it, it is happening. That. Yes. Um, because I think we have to be willing to invite into our space what we want to create as a present thing yes. rather than as out there. It's always out there. Yes, I love that. I was just I've been this past week. I've done this course on creating my goal for 2022. And that was one of the big themes of like living into this person that I want to do. Like I have all these goals for my business that I want to create in 2022. And I think of myself as the person who has already created that in my life. And I start showing up as that person now, not like I'm going out spending all the money or all those things, not that at all. It's like, who am I being as that person who's created these results already in my life. And I love that, of that whole idea of inviting that into your life right now. You kind of become that person now so that you create that future. Mm -hmm. You can do and that I with think it's motivating too. Right. Keeps yeah, you trying. Absolutely. Keeps yes. you working on it. Yes. So that's actually was my last question as we wrap up this um, really great interview. Um, going into the new year, how do you recommend to our listeners um, planning for their future and making resolutions for, for the, for 2022. Well, and I think that's the key is really looking ahead. Like so often we will set goals and resolutions based off of what we weren't able to accomplish the year before. We'll look at the year before and we'll be like, well, I set this goal to lose 20 pounds and I gave up after like two weeks. So I didn't do that, but I'm going to do it this year. And it's like, we have this kind of fake pretend motivation behind it. And so I, I think it's important to look at the past and evaluate from a really scientific place of like, what did I want? What worked? What didn't work? 
and how can I change moving forward to create the result that I want? But that's not what most of us do. Most of us are like, that sucked. I didn't even do any of the things that I wanted to do. So I guess I'll just set the same goals and keep trying what I did before, which is not, it's just going to get us the same result, right? right? So if we can just look at our future, our future year ahead of us and think, what do I really want to create? And can I come up with a plan of like, step by step, how can I get there? Can I break it down into small little things like 60 to 90 day goals? And then from there set out, like, what do I need to do this week to get me closer to my goal? What do I need to do this? What do I need to be thinking? How do I need to be feeling and showing up in my life? And like we were saying, creating that kind of, I'm becoming this person now ideal. And then after the 90 days, you kind of evaluate from that scientific place of, okay, these are the things I did, what worked? And then these are the things that didn't work out. What can I do differently over the next 90 days that will get me closer to my goal? I think what you're saying is all year long, keep evaluating and doing yes. the coaching process with your own self on all yes. goals so you don't lose 100%. Track. 100%. And I think that's where we get lost often is we think, well, I'm supposed to be hitting this goal and I haven't hit it in my first 90 days. So what's the point of continuing on? When really it goes back to that whole idea of like, there's really no time limit. We don't have to hit it in 90 days. We don't even have to hit it at the end of the year. The goal isn't necessarily like hitting the goal isn't necessarily what we should be shooting for. It's like who we become in the process. Yeah. Who, like what's happening? How are we transforming and evolving in that process? I that actually, really, I ahead. love that. And, um, I think that is a really great, um, a really great analogy are Disneyland lines. Okay. So we've yeah. got the older rides that just are boring lines, you know, and they move really slow, like, you know, waiting in line for, you know, one of some of the kiddie rides. Oh, well, they take forever. Right. Cause you don't yeah. move very fast through them. Right. right. And then all those new rides and they're real great. At, like Disney's gotten really great at lines, keeping you, you know, entertained and moving and having yes. for, you know, a good hour and a half. Right. Right. And so I think um, I've actually thought about a goal that I keep setting every year and not making it and realizing that if I start focusing on what I'm becoming and what I can control rather than the result I yes. can then see momentum and keep my attention on it rather than getting so bored in a line that's not moving. I just like, I don't even want to go on this ride anymore. Yeah. Like I'm done. Why? What's even the point anymore? Yeah. I love that. Franklin Covey actually published a great book on that a couple of years ago, which I read. They talked about how most companies um, look at lag measures. In other words, how much money did we make this year or, you know, anything like that. And they suggest focusing on lead measures. Okay, what will is probably calculated to getting you your lag measure and then focus on how much do I have to move the needle on the lead measures to, to get the result I eventually want on the lag measures. Mm. And, and I think that's, we can apply that in any, almost any area of our life. Uh, let's not focus so much on you know, how quickly my business is going to make me over six figures, right? Let's focus on what are the day-to-day -day things I have to do to move the needle? Yes. And I think that's important because so many of us 
are worried about how we're going to do it, how we're going to reach the goal, how we're going to get there. And so we're thinking really broad of like, I have to make all of these big grand things and like do all of the things at once when really, if we just take it, break it down into tasks of like, what do I need to do this week? I need by the end of the week, I need to have these things done or I need to work on these, each of these things day to day. And it's going to get me this much closer to where I need to be. And then you break it down the next week. Okay. I'm here now. What do I need to do this week? That's going to get me a little bit closer. Like we don't have to know all the steps ahead of time to get to our goal, right? We just need to know the next step. And then once we reach that one, then we can figure out what the next one and is. Then and then celebrate is. each little win. Yes. And because I think I have students key. that it takes them a year yes. to learn the twinkles and then they can learn a concerto book in a year after they get yeah. a foundation. So you yes. celebrate those little tiny, teeny incremental steps and maybe even call a measure, a whole song, you know, and, Oh, I yeah. learned this new song. It's a measure, yeah. but it's a song, you know? And, um, so I just, I think that's a good example of how we can take something ginormous and huge mm -hmm. and we break it down small enough they're manageable steps yes absolutely whether it's totally violining or relationships or building a business or or losing weight you know, or you know any of the financial, things you know yes foundation all of it yes all of it totally agree karen nelson has been our guest uh today uh tell our listeners how they can find out more about your work if they want that Yes. So you can go to my website, which is karennelsoncoaching.com. And I actually spell my name with an I. So it's K-A-R-I-N and then nelsoncoaching.com. Or Nelson you can with an O-N. Yes, Nelson with an O-N. Or you can join my private Facebook group, which is dedicated specifically for men and women going through a divorce or who are divorced and who want guidance and support. And that is called Becoming You After Divorce. So you just go to Facebook and type in Becoming You After Divorce. And that's the group. That's wonderful. And we hope a lot of our members will join both groups, both ours and yours. So yeah, absolutely. Yes, so absolutely. Our, so we're love in later years. And, you know, you mentioned that you first work with the individual to build a life that's even better when they were married. And we encourage people to believe that they can love again and to get ready for that love by becoming healthy and peaceful and, and reestablish yes. their identity as a, as a, an individual. And so I think we're doing similar work. Um, yes. We do always end our podcast with creating more love in your life statement. And I just wanted to tell our listeners, because um, I don't think we've ever explained this, that that love starts with yourself. And I yes. love that we've focused on that today with you. So thank you. hundred percent. You're welcome. I think it's so, so important. I think that so many of us don't recognize how important the relationship with ourselves is because we always are always putting everyone else in front of us and truly in my eyes. And it is my belief that our relationship with ourselves is the most important one. So I love the work that you guys are doing. I think that is such an amazing foundation for all of us. And I love the work that I'm doing because I believe that we need to love ourselves more and believe in ourselves more. Absolutely. So, yeah. So thank you for, for what you do in the world, as well as being on our show today and to our listeners, remember anytime is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening. Subscribe to LilyPod 
and get notice of each new weekly episode. If you enjoy what you heard, give us a positive review. We want to reach as many mid-singles and later married couples as possible, so please share this podcast with those you love. To access fabulous free content like written articles and YouTube videos on LilyDube, and to learn about our book Intentional Courtship and Lily Coaching Services, visit loveinlateryears.com. <laughs>